Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Overdue Rentals, the podcast where we talk about films that no one talks about anymore. They were award winners. They were big box office blockbusters. They were littler films that nobody saw when they first came out, but they really, really need that attention. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blends Mike Reyes. And Matt, one of our movies today definitely falls into the overdue rental category because it was the highest grossing film of Buena Vista distribution of its year. Well, I'm dying to know, what film is that, Mike? Well, Matthew, it all comes down to a simple question. What about Bob? What about, what about Bob? Bob? Well, luckily, we're here today to talk about What About Bob in our part two of the Lady of the Manor episodes, because we have Justin Long and Christian Long in today to talk about their feature-length directorial debut, co-written debut for, for feature-length. It's great that they're doing this finally. It's great to have them here to talk about it. If you weren't sure, you didn't hear the last episode, you didn't hear about it yet, Lady of the Manor is a comedy about a young woman who's having some troubles in her life. She ends up getting a job as a tour guide where she has to pretend to be the old lady of the old Savannah Manor. Wow, I really, I, that accident came out of nowhere. That was perfect, Matthew. I loved it. But she starts to be haunted by the ghost of the actual woman she's portraying on these tours. And then the two of them have some stuff to hash out. Let's put it that way. And those two ladies just happen to be played by Melanie Linsky and Judy Greer, respectively. So if you're not already renting this, I don't know what to tell you. Two of the uh, greatest people ever to do this job. That's I another mean, pair that I just want to see act together more. But we'll, we'll talk about that later because... We have to do a quick rundown about one about Bob because I think I see Christian and Justin sort of clawing at the Zoom window. Yes, yeah, so what about Bob? If you've never seen it, which is amazing if you haven't, deals with Bob, played by Bill Murray, who is basically what you would consider suffers from every single possible mental illness there is. Agoraphobia, germophobia. We'll, I won't go on the whole list, everything. Or at the very least, he's convinced he is. He's Exactly. And his new therapist... Leo Marvin, played by Richard Dreyfus, meets with him for the first time, but is about to go on vacation with his family. And when Bob just can't deal with it, he finds where they're on vacation and haunts the man on vacation. That doesn't sound like a Frank Oz movie. I don't know what does. So we're just going to cut to the chase here and get Christian and Justin Long into the room at the overdue rentals counter because it's time to talk about Lady of the Manor and what about Bob, both of which are on our shelves. Coming in, guys. Sorry about the carpet. Thank you both for being here. We, it's fantastic to have you here. And I should mention before we kick it off that I am friends with Nick, your director of photography. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, oh, so I had, I had early advance notice of the film. <laughs> oh my God, nice. you, you look a little bit like Nick. Yeah, you do. It's, it's interesting, you know, when we're together, we don't think about it, but I guess, I mean, it's hard not, I, I don't have his chest hair. Uh, oh, no one does. Yeah, bit, like, no humans do. Wild animals do. <laughs> But I think we should get the obvious out of the way first and ask why, not why, but how long did you guys want to do this? Did you guys want to write and direct a feature like this? And, and why now was it the right time? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, um, a while we've wanted to. We had done a web series with Nick actually in Sarasota and we met a lot of um, really talented people there from, from the Ringling School. And so we, and we, and we got, um, we, we just really enjoyed the process of making that web series. And so we kind of, we kind of fell in love with directing and 
we had been trying to come up with an idea for a feature for a little while. Um, and we just, I think we just landed on something that we could connect with. Yeah, and, and also something that practically speaking felt um, uh, less ambitious to make, let, let's, let's say it. Uh, we do it, yeah. Do where it we could do it for a relatively small budget, but mm -hmm. that could also potentially look like a bigger budget, like a more commercial movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we grew up watching buddy comedies and, um, and we felt comfortable in that genre, uh, comfortable enough, at least to take a stab at making one. Um, in fact, a lot of the inspiration for Nick, just for the aesthetic was some of those bigger budget movies kind of, I don't want to say glossy looking, but you know, something that was popped a little bit more, something that was a little bit more accessible and bright and fun and um and so it, it it we didn't necessarily look uh like a low budget indie comedy um and like christian said those are the movies that really always inspired us and and that we just enjoyed so um and 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 we enjoyed i i think i knew it was the right thing once we started talking about the idea and fleshing it out and it was enjoyable just to do that it was it was like we were making each other laugh and uh it, it felt like fertile ground for us um and so it just it kind of like went from there. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you mentioned the the fact that it looks like sort of a a different studio comedy because that's sort of an era that we've sort of found our ourselves out of uh, wandering out of, uh, yeah. especially considering we're going to be mentioning one later in the show. But remember when you could make a movie like What About Bob and it's like or Lady of the Manor back in the '90s probably would have had you know. You probably could have gotten Bill Murray in there or whomever you wanted. Well, yeah, we can't wait to talk about What About Bob because that really was such an inspiration to us, that that movie. And we we rewatched it last night. And yeah, we were marveling at just the fact that a studio made that, um, that they committed to that story and those characters and um, the simplicity of the story too is what, what mm -hmm. we, we always love. We love when... A comedy is there's a clarity to it you know there's a real clear point of view that both those characters have and so that's what we we were tried to craft ours in in that uh with that model yeah it's funny know. we keep talking about um what inspired us to make this movie and we keep referencing what about bob and playing strange automobiles these great movies and i always feel a little reluctant to do that because because i feel like i'm we're in some way comparing our movie which which i'm really not but but there's something I feel that you can compare about our movie in that it's it does feel like a 90s comedy. It does feel like, in a, to me, in my opinion, in a good way, um, that I feel like I haven't seen that in a while. You know, yeah. comedies now have become very like, like action comedies are so big. And the third act, and the third act of the, those movies become like so intense and like plot driven and yeah and it's like you kind of forget about the comedy at a certain point and so you forget about the character that was our goal with this movie ultimately was to make a movie that was um that was hopefully funny throughout uh -huh. you know and we didn't want the plot to get in the way of the funny yeah yeah and we'll definitely get into talking more what about bob more shortly because i don't want to forget about talking about lady of the matter because it is such an enjoyable film to sit through oh, but thanks thanks man. You know, of course, you have all of your ties being in the business for so long, but to have such a cast, like especially Judy and Melanie, who are, I say it all the time, they are probably the greatest people in the entire world all around. Just to be able to have that to, to play around with with your script, does, does it feel like you're you. almost lucky at that point? 
Oh, not almost lucky. Fully lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we, uh, when we sent the script to them, I, I remember feeling like, oh, we might as well take a shot. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, let's throw a Hail Mary because these actresses are so great and so in demand um, that I don't know. I just, I, I couldn't flatter myself into thinking that maybe they would even do it. I just thought like, oh, it'd be cool if we got them to read it. That's right. I mean, we not to say we didn't believe in the script. We, we liked the script. We were, we were happy with where it in, ended up, but um, there's such classy like you said, like in-demand actresses that we thought it was kind of a long shot. Um, but we also did think there was a, a chance that they would want to do, so this felt different for both of them, not not only to be carrying a movie like this, but um, to, to be to get to do some kind of, some of the raunchier stuff and some of the, um, you know, the kind of filthier uh, the jokes. Fart, the, the fart, fart jokes, stuff. the fart stuff. <laughs> um, and, and, we thought, you know, maybe, well, why not? Uh, why not take a shot? And they, we were so flattered uh, and relieved, really relieved. And then they, it. and ironically, they ended up embracing that, right. those elements uh, the most. I mean, th yeah. that's, it almost seemed like that's kind of what they liked best about uh, the idea of being in this movie, just getting to do those like raunchier things that they, they're just not used to doing. But they did them within, uh, sometimes within like the same like 20 second window. Like I, I'm thinking about that and not to give anything away, but there's a moment at the end that is like, it has, there's, a, it's got, there's a fart joke um, that comes right on the heels of like one of the most touching things I've seen two actors do just with their, and, and, and it was not in the script. So, it, and it, we didn't direct this way. So I'm not, this is not an, uh, I'm not being arrogant. It's it was yeah. all them. I mean, they just created this really beautiful human moment of connection, and then um, and then a fart, uh, <laughs> and then a fart moment, which was uh, really made us happy. I mean, we we were so proud to have them yeah. do that. What connects people better than just a well-timed fart? I mean, uh, nothing. It's always it's been a consistent in my life. I mean, I, that was a rhetorical question, but <laughs> I'll answer it for you. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly that's exactly what we want here on overdue rentals and uh it's funny uh it's funny that you're mentioning you know judy and melanie uh we when we talked to melanie yesterday she sort of mentioned that her and judy sort of have a pattern of being up for the same roles and we rarely oh, yeah. we've never gotten to see them together so i just have to thank you for actually putting them together in a room because that's the poster right there uh, yeah, they yeah. did mention that. They said, because um, they both, I'm sure she talked about this, they both really admired each other. Uh, did she mention Catherine Hahn as the third? Uh, the yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Oh, thank you for reminding me of that because I was like, okay, that's our comedy Avengers movie there. We get those three ladies together in a movie. And I know. It might be too much. I don't know if a movie, a single movie can handle it. I know. God, we are, we really are lucky. I mean, ta like talking about it just reminds me that. Uh, there are just there aren't aren't two better funny women mm -hmm. to uh, to be in this movie. Like so, we really got lucky. We, I mean, selfishly, we hope it does well just for for our own um, getting to make another movie, just for, for the prospects of getting to make another. But uh, we also hope it does. We hope they're you know financiers and people who make the money decisions uh, see a movie like that and see see two actresses like that being able to. Um, bring people in, you know, carry a, a movie. Well, it's not, it's, I mean, again, there's stack cast, you know, again, including you as well, Justin, but I don't think, I, I mean, there probably is something I may have missed it, but, but seeing both Ryan Phillippe and Patrick Duffy those ways also, I thought was just a thrill and just a joy. 
it's so yeah. nice of you yeah, yeah it's we, really nice we, uh, we felt the same we loved it ryan Philippi is um we thought he was so brilliant and mcgruber playing this playing the straight That's man true, yeah uh it, we we love that movie and that movie wouldn't be that movie without his like complete uh loyalty to the truth you know like he never he never goes looking for the the funny you know he mm. just plays everything very straight and absurd things are happening but he is so committed to playing things straight that that for us that's that's uh our favorite kind of comedy it's like um i mean again not to compare it to a movie like waiting for guffman but that movie works because those characters are so absurd um and the situations are so crazy but everyone is playing it so real yeah they never wink they, they never, never yeah yeah they yeah. never and that's hand. just what we like that's the kind of comedy we like you know yeah that was the, that was the big thing with, with uh, leslie nielsen talking about all of the police squad naked gun stuff was just that we're we're being ridiculous but everybody's taking it seriously they totally. are totally they're so grounded in, in those movies yeah they, even uh yeah the cable guy people got on jim carrey about you know be, just because it was so different it was something they hadn't seen that that's one of our favorite movies that was another huge inspiration for us and and but Jim Carrey plays it so real. I mean, it's so it's big, and he's got the lisp, and he's got the underbite, and all that. But like, he's still really grounded. Mm -hmm. It's not a cartoonish. So much so to the point where you really do feel for him when he's about to throw himself on the satellite dish. Like I still have burned into my mind. Somebody's got to kill the babysitter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and Patrick Duffy, uh, we should oh my say God. that uh, <laughs> he was so kind to to come out and do this part. Uh, he came out from yeah. Oregon, and and he um, when we met him, Justin uh, Justin had his director hat on. He was very like he was like, "Thank you for coming, Mr. Duffy, and let me know if uh, are you comfortable with your face, your mustache, and are you okay shaving?" He was like, "Yeah, whatever you guys need." And, and uh, it was a pleasant introduction. And Justin turned to walk away. He said, oh, uh, one more thing. Would you be comfortable at all doing a Southern, some version of a Southern accent? There's pause, pause. And he, in the nicest way possible said, yeah, I was on a sh uh, sh show called Dallas for 13 years. So um, I, I'm comfortable doing like, a Southern. <laughs> the second it left my mouth, you know, when you say something like, as soon as it, it, it leaves your mouth, you know. Um, yeah. But he really let me, yeah, he, his delivery was really gentle. He, he uh, I felt so dumb. But in my defense, I had just been talking, there was an actor who didn't realize that it had to be, they had to do a Southern accent. And so I was like, I had it in my head that like, oh shit, we should like clear with these actors that we should just make sure they know it takes place in the South. And I didn't, yeah, 13 years he was on that show. Maybe 14. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you, you just said, though, but, you know, when you went with him, Justin had his director's hat on. Going into this, did you have a, an idea of how you kind of want to balance out the co-directing part of your venture? You know, we probably should have, in retrospect, uh, had a more clear plan. Yeah, we didn't really. We didn't. Um, but I think our personalities it, it, it just lend themselves to a situation where um, Justin is doing most of the communication with the actors. Um, but then, you know, we were always on the same page. So, you know, we would talk amongst each other and then Justin would often be the one communicating direction. But um, 
Yeah, we never we, we we got into a groove though, just mm -hmm. a natural kind of. I think that became the dynamic pretty quickly. I, I don't know if Melanie told you this because I had asked her on our podcast what you know what her impression was of us as um, directors, just like what, or maybe she just volunteered it. But she said she she said that I would come over and I'd get really like gushy and, and I would go on about because I'm such a we're both such fans. But I would I would sometimes watch the take like a fan, you know, and I'd be like, oh, my God, Judy, when you did this and and I would just be recounting like Chris Farley and the Chris Farley show just like it was awesome when you did that. <laughs> and and Melanie and then Christian would have to come over and be like and remind me of why I went up to them in the first place and like what the note was. And it was always very minimal, but like whatever we wanted to tweak something and so it was uh, like a good cop bad cop dynamic that yes. ended up like gushy cop uh well, less gu gushy cop well, well then so the mel mel and judy just kept going straight to christian to get like because they're not actors who like need a bunch of compliments they don't they, yeah. they're very secure and professional and so they go right to christian and they were like okay what's the note um that really made me laugh yeah, I can't remember, Mike. Do you remember? I, I, I she said Christian was. I, I, I don't want. I don't want to say cougar, but it, I, for some reason that that word sticks out in my mind. Like, cougar or cougar? Cougar. Well, I had mentioned uh, when we were talking to Melanie that did come up, and I was like, oh, so you know, one was like a golden retriever, one was like a, a German shepherd. So, you know, oh, 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 yes, and, yes, and the other director's like, okay. So, oh, yeah, not, not, not not that you're not that you're like an 80 year old man going after like 20 year old women or something like that That's <laughs> yeah. he's like a sugar dad um i would say you are very much uh a golden retriever like a puppy golden retriever i get very excited and and, and i'm a little bit more like a house cat maybe yeah <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> that's better i remember my, my own business occasionally i'll like need petting once in a while i i bounce around a lot mm -hmm. i get very like tiggery Tigger is perfect. Yeah. yeah. I'm Eeyore, he's Tigger. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. In a, a. A. Milne analogy. Yeah. Huh. I can be poo. <laughs> <laughs> but who are you in the A. A. Milne analogy? Was oh, 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 oh boy. <laughs> I'm probably rabbit. Yeah. Rabbit. Yeah. Rabbits. Yeah. I, I wouldn't mind being a rabbit. rabbit. I can be a little piglety. Yes, you can. Um I'd probably be Chris because I just I just don't believe in anything anymore. And you oh. know, <laughs> well, that's, that's the darkest answer. You're, you and McGregor's Christopher Robin at the yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm that version. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. That's a good question. Uh, we also got lucky with like local cast, not uh -huh. to uh, take it back a bit, but like Andy Matheny. I'm just thinking of like how how we were. Uh, that was an uncertainty. Um, you know, that, not a fear that we had. We were just like uh, it was an unknown. Um, mm. Shooting in Tampa, we thought, and and because of the limited budget, we we had to hire a lot of local actors and. We, there were so many good ones. And that's another thing about What About Bob we noticed was just some of those smaller parts, how real oh, they the are. the extras in that movie. Oh my God. Are when, so good. When he's waiting for Leo Marvin to call him in, in the Gutman's, yeah. like the, the cutaways to those extras, none of that, they're all playing it so straight. Mm -hmm. Like some of those older guys and they're just like genuinely seem freaked out. Yeah, they're just him. like existing. They're just like locals mm -hmm. in a New Hampshire <laughs> diner. It's so good. It, it, it makes it, it adds to the realness of it all. Well, it's funny about What About Bob is because again, we mentioned, you mentioned a lot of movies that again, inspired you to want to make Lady of the Manor the way you did. And, and we talked about some of the films of What About Bob really does fit that idea of what we'd like to talk about here at Overdue Rentals. Because while it was, box office smash kind of thing when it first came out, you know, in the pantheon of like the Bill Murray movies, the Richard Dreyfuss movies, people don't bring it up anymore. And I don't know why it's kind of, kind of fell in oh, the background really? a little bit. We've been talking about it so much, but I, I think you're right. Like, I don't, you, I hear uh, Groundhog Day get referenced way yeah. more often than 
what about Bob? Do you know what's interesting? It just occurred to me is that that's the one point of um, diversion that I oh, had Melanie. Melanie, oh, Melanie right. Linsky, who is, that. I don't know if you, this came up on, on your show, but I, she is truly one of the funniest, has an incredible sense of humor, great taste. We would laugh about pop culture references all the time. And, um, and her husband is also one of the funniest people I know, Jason. Um, and she can't stand, uh, what about Bob? Hates it, hates it. Oh. Yes, yeah. yes, I hate it. It's no, I, I don't get it. I never really understood why she hated it. It's Did nasty. You? Yeah, she said it's just like frustrating that uh, to see someone so frustrated. Yes, I think, I think that's so. What she said. I think it was about the darkness, and you know, she kind of had a point about there is a real dark element to it. But I think she, Melanie is so sensitive. She's such a sensitive person that I think she just um, absorbed some of the. Uh, I think it made her uncomfortable, genuinely mm. uncomfortable, their dynamic, uh, mm. Dreyfus and, and Bill Murray. And, and Jason was like, I know, man, because I, I was like, I, I, could, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe it that she hated it so much, had such like strong opinions about it. And, um, and Jason was like, I know, I know. I've been trying to get her to, to like it. And she just, she just hates it. Yeah, <laughs> it was like frustrating to him. Did you guys see the? Did you guys see what about Bob when it first came out, like in theaters, or did it um, like the VHS kind of thing? I think I, I don't, I don't think I did. I think I would have been a little bit too young to fully appreciate it. I mean, I was old enough to see it, but I think uh, I did see it in theaters. I think it, it took me a few years. I didn't fall in love with it right away. It took me. A, um, it, it was a little bit like Big Lebowski for me, where like the first time I saw it, I, I just didn't. I don't know. I didn't get it. I, I think a lot of it too was like the more experience I had in the world with people like that, I, the more I appreciated the like, the honesty and like the richness and the subtlety of that, uh, that type of annoying person, you know, and mm -hmm. and and the message behind it. I, I, just the way it was played. I, I, I don't think I appreciated that that um dynamic, the the comedic uh, value in that. I, I, I didn't see it until mm -hmm. I was older. Mm -hmm. Um, but now I look at it and it's like, it is, it's one of the, it's, I, I, it gets better every time I see it. It really, it, it's kind of funny that this is a Frank Oz movie, because when you look at Bob and his relationship with, uh, when, you, when you look at the relationship between Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss, it's kind of an evil Ernie and Bert when you think about it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it is. But there's some yeah. really advanced humor. I mean, he minds so much humor out of uh, like those, those Muppet interactions, there was always something so honest about those. And there was something so, so it made them so human. Um, they, they found the comedy in, in the subtler aspects of, of their Muppet behavior, I think. Um, yeah. So I don't think it's, I don't know. It, it, it feels a little bit like a Dirty Rotten Scoundrels has that. I think Bowfinger definitely has that. Um, oh, yes. You know, I would say, and, and I think what he does with the camera is like, masterful i just think the way he sets up his shots and and, and is so efficient mm -hmm. in the movement of the camera is like really inspired in like it's something we marvel at mm -hmm. you know i i obviously can't speak to it because i don't know if i've seen like a behind the scenes documentary to, that will remind me if it was true or not but i think a lot of people get stuck on always talking about you know movie scenes from comedies or dramas where it was all you know like that scene was improv did you know that and you mm. so it came to things like robin williams and Jim Carrey, everybody will kind of talk about that, but they don't talk about that so much with Bill. And I imagine that like, for instance, I always, in my head, it always stuck in from the minute I saw it. And I saw it when it came out in the theaters and I was like 11 or 12 years old, I think, I don't remember, but mm. um, they're, they're doing Singing in the Rain as they're cleaning up after the chicken dinner, after, after mm -hmm. Leo chokes. And he changes the lyrics to, I'm walking through the kitchen yeah. with a bowl oh, yeah. full of chicken. Yeah. I just have to feel it. 
that just came off the cuff, but it's like, that's something that stuck with me for my entire life. That's funny that you say that because last night we were watching it and we kept noticing and like predicting moments like that. That was an example that were likely improvised um, by Bill Murray. And, and that was an example that was like, oh, clearly when he said in, in, in Faye and uh, Leo, I mean, Dr. Marvin's refrigerator, yeah. like there was he so corrects much. himself in the song is like, and little things like, um, like uh, I see salt and pepper as their salt substitute, like things like that. I don't, I don't yeah. know. I can't imagine lines like that are written. They there just, was, they feel like so organic and like there were so so many and like subtle thing, like little things, like like when he says, um, uh, they, they decide that he's going to call him at three at four o'clock, and he's like, couldn't make it three thirty, could you? And, uh-huh. and and he goes, Bob, and and he goes, four four is good. It's better. I mean, just that just that kind of riffing, like. Or it's, when he sees him, he's going up the stairs, and he goes, "Oh, I really appreciate this." Oh, and he kind of like says it to the sky. That after like, he's screaming his name yeah. in the middle of all these people, Leo Marvin, the crane shot, which is so smart of Frank Oz to like, say, yes, you spend the money on that shot because it's it's hilarious. Like the idea that he's in this crowd of people screaming a guy's name, it's re- it's so funny. But yeah, that moment, the uh, he looks, he sees him, and he goes, "I so appreciate this." That couldn't have been scripted. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure if anyone else in the room knew this. I just learned it because uh, this I, I was doing a little bit of the, the digging on the film. If casting had shooken out a different way, we would have either had Woody Allen or Patrick Stewart as Leo. Wow. And then wow. we it says here that Robin Williams was attached at one point. So I imagine Patrick Stewart and Robin Williams going at it. Oh, my God. I, mean, I, I heard Robin Williams. Um, it could be that he was brilliant. Yeah, he was brilliant. And like, it's hard. It's so we were talking about this last night, too. It is so hard to imagine in other actors, just one of those like, rare, indelible performances that are like, I I don't know, talk about threading the needle, like, yeah, that that character could so easily be um, dark, dark, or sad. And like, he's mentally you know yeah troubled. i mean it, that's the thing with bill murray is that he's able to have this really annoying kind of like crazy guy um be so endearing and likable yeah. and believable that this family would gravitate so much to him but in different hands that could easily have become like oh there's no way i believe that this family would let him this guy sleep in uh, the same know. room as their like 10 year old son. It's crazy. It's like the first night they meet him. Yeah. And, and I think what they do, but there's some, but sorry, there's like a real innocence about right. Bill Murray and like an, a naivete yeah. about him that, uh, that even if he's annoying or crazy or anything, uh, it's like all that stuff is overwhelmed by his sweetness, you yeah, know, like and there's innocent. There's a real innocence to him. And, and like, I think that's maybe why I'm so curious. We, we were so curious about what the process was with the script and, and what changes it went through. But like, we noticed things that kind of played into that. Like when he says to Faye, uh, oh, could you keep the door open a little bit? Like, you know, I'm afraid of the dark. There's there's a, like a child-like mm-hmm. quality to him that made him, yeah, like Christian said, there's just something totally like non-threatening about him. He's only threatening to Leo. Yeah. Well, but, but that's funny too, though, because I wonder if that also may be the reason why it doesn't get talked about as much anymore, because as mental health issues become oh, sure. more prescient and people don't want to laugh at it, 
and even totally. tweet that they're not going to say, I can't, I can't, I can't watch this. I mean, it's sad to say this, but I'm almost positive that mm -hmm. that movie just couldn't get made today. Or, or if it did get made, it would be like, people would talk about that. Like that would be people's takeaway now. Yeah. It would be like, this is, this is like offensive potentially. But the thing is they're not, I clocked that. I mean, I was watching it through that lens a little bit. Like it, it's hard not to watch movies that way now. And, and I, I realized that um, so much of that humor that I think people would be offended by is it's not, it's certainly not making fun of um, mental illness. It's not making fun of the mental illness itself. It's the, um, it's in the, it's this particular guy and, and how they manifest in, in his behavior. And so much of it turns out to be in his head. Like he's this, like, I, I think if you were to diagnose him, it'd be just like an extraordinary, like hypochondriac. He's like a yeah. hypochondriac about every illness, even mental illness. Um, and, and, but again, like, I think in the hands of any other actor, those, that potential problematic, um, you know, element it could, would, would mm -hmm. really be like highlighted. You know, even then, like we were like, we couldn't believe that that movie got made then. And I, I, I wonder how much of it was Laura. I noticed that Laura Ziskin came up with the was got a story credit. So I, I and she was a huge, really powerful producer. So for that studio. So I wonder if it was just a matter of like having a that powerful a, a producer behind the story. It's a, it's a strange thing just with movies in general, especially again now that we are. Well, not we, I guess, as, as a whole, but people looking at things differently. And it's funny when I look back at things. I was just, I was just watching one of these YouTube reactors react to watching Blazing Saddles for her for the first time. Huh. Not only did he never see it for the first time, he says he never heard of it, which means he's never heard of Mel Brooks, which is confusing to me. <laughs> but it made me start thinking about. I would want to. Talk, I want the guy. I want this guy on the show. I want to talk about Putney Swope. I don't know if you guys had seen Putney Swope, Robert Downey Sr.'s uh, film from 1969. No, no. And well, I, I, in my head, I'm like, I think, well, that would be a great follow-up because they couldn't do that today. And then I went back and watched mm -hmm. it. And you know, for those who don't know what it's about, it's basically about an ad agency who they elect the token black member of their board as the head of the company when the, when the CEO dies because they thought nobody else would vote for him. Oh, wow. And so he turns the whole thing around, of course. And I, and I was re-watching it. And I'm like, you know what? This is, this is child's play compared to the things that people did in whether it was Blazing Saddles or what's coming out today, but I, th I think people would find it offensive. I'm so curious to see it. Now, wh wh where would you, where do you watch that movie? Uh, I actually, I re even though I own it, I rewatched it on Tubi. So you had to watch it with ads in it for free, uh -huh. but it is available to stream right now. Okay, yeah, I want to check that out. No, I know. I, I, I think that about a lot of movies that, that we really loved, um, Waiting for Guffman. I mean, I mean, like, yeah, movies that really inspired us. That that was, we had some Yeah, like if Waiting for Guffman got, was being made now it that Corky Sinclair <laughs> would probably be have yeah. to be played by a gay man right like I think so I don't know I think I don't I'm that's the other that's the thing I'm not total I don't know that the rules have been mm -hmm. totally defined yet and I, I, I think we're all still trying to figure out um what they are but but that was something that obviously we we had to be very mindful of when we were making this we we um you know, we just had to be really like uh, conscientious of it. And I'm not saying that like it's a bad thing. I think it's, I think it's good to be aware of who you may be hurting and, and um, offending and, and weigh that, uh, weigh that when, when you're 
making something like this. We, we certainly don't want to hurt people or offend people. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but there, there were certain things that sometimes you, you can't avoid it. Um, sometimes you have to take a chance at potentially offending someone <clears throat> in order to get other people to laugh. Yeah. You know, it's like, because if you, if you start breaking apart every joke, everything that's potentially funny, you can kind of make a case for why it could be offensive. I think, you know, you could, if you want, if you want to do that, like if you want to try to find like offensiveness in any comedy, I think it's pretty easy to do that if you yeah. want to, you know, you know, I, this, I know this is totally anecdotal, but I remember talking to a kid that I, I knew in college who had Tourette syndrome <clears throat> and talking specifically about that the stuff in, in What About Bob, how he fakes his, his Tourette's. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I, I was curious. I remember asking them, like, well, is that uh, offensive to you? I mean, my, my friend didn't have a, a very serious case of it. Uh, he said, well, it's, a it's such an exaggeration. It's, it's like, you know, his, his manifested in like a few ticks and he would suppress a sound. And, and, um, but he said, it's just, it's just a misrepresentation of what it is. And that's more about Bill Murray's, uh, uh, Bob's misrepresentation of it. Um, he was not offended. Um, I remember. But I could also see why, why someone the Tourette's yeah. community would be offended by that. Yeah. Like, I don't think that's outlandish. To, to make light of something that is a struggle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah I know. And like easy for me to say, like I don't have Tourette's syndrome, so I'm not sensitive. Well, to you're something a germaphobe. Like that. Were you offended by the germaphobic illness? Um, no, because I'm a germaphobe, but I'm like a a, a very high functioning germaphobe. You know, it doesn't like yeah. it doesn't. I'm not crippled with it. You know, like <laughs> I can. Um, I'm not like Bob Wiley. You know, <laughs> thankfully. I like, I mean, I like how you're telling work. Justin like he doesn't know. Like at this point, it helps to know. <laughs> I, I wasn't positive. But it's so much of it is like about, I mean, again, it's about uh, just that dynamic. That dynamic is so universal. You know, there's something so universally um, true about somebody who is not reading the room. I mean, Bill Murray is just like, he's not reading Dreyfus properly. And, and one, want, they, he, Dreyfus wants him gone and Bill Murray wants to, to be around him. It's the... I think everyone's had a version, an experience like that. It's, and that's the beauty of that movie. So all those other things are like, yeah, you could nitpick and, and yeah. talk about potential offense. But like, to me, that's, that is what drives that movie. And there's nothing offensive about that. And there's something about uh, a, a, a character who is so, has it all, you know, has the lake house, has the family, has the great office, yeah. the career, everything. Um, but he loses to a guy who has none of that, yeah. but, but who is like sweet and uh, like not ambitious and open-minded. Open it's, such, it's such a, yeah, it's such a good, I mean, within all the, it's so funny, but there's also such a great message it's in that true. movie. You know, it's it, like- It's like a real response to the 80s mentality. You know, it's like right, a real like- Greed, greed is good. Yeah, yeah. like anti-80s message. Um, and so, and so for anything that might be potentially offensive, I agree. I think like the, the larger message of that movie is like really important and like kind of, kind of beautiful. Oh yeah. Cause you, I mean, throughout the movie, you watch all these people that either have issues with, or in the case of the Gutmans outright despise Leo right. and they love Bob. And that sort of mitigates the, I think to a certain extent that mitigates the mental health aspect of it because it's not, 
a story of, oh, this guy's crazy. We're supposed to be, you know, we're supposed to take glee in him getting his revenge. It's like, no, right. he, he's got issues, but he's just nice and fun. Oh, he's and- so likable. He's so fun. He's, yeah. you see how he hijacks that um, Good Morning America interview. It's like, he's, but he, totally like without malice. Yes. You know, he yeah. does it because like he runs over and introduces mm-hmm. the family not to um, show up uh, Leo, not to like make him look bad, but because he genuinely likes the family and wants them to be on TV. You know, it's like, there's a real like purity yeah. to his intent, to his intentions. Well, it's similar yeah. to Doug Griffith. I mean, it's yeah. similar to John Candy that he, all that annoying stuff, he's, his intentions are so good in that movie. Um, they're so pure. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just to, to be like kind and helpful. So you forgive the annoying stuff because yeah. you know that if if he if the character has a big enough heart and positive, you know, well well intentions, then um, then you forgive all that other totally. stuff. You yeah. Know? Un- unless you're Leo Marvin, then you don't. You're the one person who doesn't forgive. Well, and yeah. Frank Oz does a really smart thing. He makes Leo Marvin uh, a little extra. Um, he mm. makes him a little bit more, a little bit uh, less involved in his kids' lives. He makes him a little bit more arrogant than most mm-hmm. psychiatrists. There's something that he turns that up just a little bit, his um, his narcissism and mm-hmm. his vanity. And, and that goes a long way in rooting for Bill Murray because you, 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 they're immediately opposed. And, and, and if there's one guy who's like kind of unlikable, it's just natural that you would root for the, 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 his opposite, even though he's doing annoying things. It's, it's such it's weird to look at it too because you could by the end of it you know you say hey leo is technically a vegetable though he you know he, he screams out finally at the end but you know everybody else's problems like you said they are turned you know the opposite direction and leo's not gonna he's not gonna lose his, his life he's not gonna lose his money everything will be okay so as long as you can be okay with that everybody technically does win when you think about it that's true. That's and true. also when you think about it this way, I mean, the third act gets so crazy. He tries to murder him. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at that, like, he gets away with attempted murder. I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, it's and wild. at the end, they're just like, oh, in the church and they're hugging. And it's like, you know, they're kind of still at odds, but it's like five minutes earlier, he's trying to blow him up. Well, I you wonder know? how much of that is like Frank Oz's Muppet background that he's, he, he started directing mm-hmm. with these non-human, you know, these like, puppets and and how much of that informed that screen that choice in the screenplay because we I, I that's the part of the movie that I, I I'm not as crazy about I, I and I don't know how to, to, I love talking about it because I, I don't know how just as like a, a new screenwriter how you would solve that problem like mm-hmm. how what would happen to those two characters and and I think it felt like more of a 90s movie trope to 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 take to push it to that level um mm-hmm. to like a, a murderous rage instead of just like to go from being really annoyed by somebody mm-hmm. to like you want to kill them that that to me is that's that's a that was a leap that's hard for me to to, to take mm-hmm. i think within the world though you can it doesn't necessarily make sense but for somebody who wants to feel like his life is being threatened he thinks that if, he, if i don't get rid of this person that everything will completely go down the drain even though it doesn't I, you know, the way right. the movie builds it, you can at least give it a little bit of, I guess, credence. For sure. Yeah. It also wouldn't be very funny if Leo Marvin um, tries to get a restraining order against know, him or something. You know, that's like... like it's got to go somewhere. It, it's got to yeah. go somewhere. Um, but but I just think um, the first act, like the setup, and then the second act of like 
Bill Murray being annoying is one at the lake. They're like so brilliant and it's so perfectly done that uh, it's almost impossible to live up for the third act to to live up to that, that. to sustain it, but also to, because you need, I mean, it's a movie. So you, you can't just have this like funny dynamic. It Mm. needs to need to resolve it somehow. Right. But that's, yeah, I agree. That's the part of the movie. That's like the third act to me is like, it's okay. It's like kind of funny, but it it's compared to the, the first two thirds of the movie. It's like, not nearly as good to me. Well, because it's also all about plot and that we were right. talking about that instead yeah. of story. The story is so good. It's like one of the best stories, those two characters uh, at, at odds with each other. But like the plot then gets in the way, I think mm-hmm. that, that, oh, that, and then there's, they got intro, introduce Fran right. Brill's character yeah, and sister. Like a, a sister, a love interest. And, yeah. and, and then you go from like, cause Bill Murray's already been so established as this innocent. And, and there's like a lack of, there's like not really a sexual component to him, which is mm-hmm. how, he's able to hang out with the daughter and right. with Faye. And like, there's not an ounce of like, oh, he might try something. <laughs> you know? yeah. There's yeah, nothing in the air. That's true. That third the act really did blue. feel like it came to a juncture where it's like, okay, do we try to kill him? Or is it the heartfelt talk with the wife, which all of a sudden is like, I'm sorry. And then you have the sort of, right. it could have swung the other way where it was like very melodramatic and you know, maybe the wife wants to leave and has this speech about you've been so mean to him and he's been so good. <laughs> right. And then he proves himself right. like um, sort of like the end of Elf. Like I love Elf. Like the, I love that the whole, the whole mm-hmm. setup, obviously. But like, I have a similar feeling about the mm-hmm. third act of that, where it's like hmm. you need James Khan's character to like see the light and realize that he's not the father he should be and the husband he should be yeah. and it, and to me it's just like it kind of gets in the way of i agree what's funny about but it. i think that was but you need maybe you need it that was like, probably a studio mandate i think yeah. they need it because like it is cool it is like a fun setup that there's that explosion it's very studio mm-hmm. uh ending that there's like a big big piece, set piece, big set piece. Yeah. but like i think john hughes probably got away with it being keeping and maintaining like a more a simpler story with like playing strands on wheels because he had so much power i think i think he's just he was just like trusted and he had i i'm this i might be talking mm-hmm. out of my ass but like the end of that movie there's not that big you know obviously there's a great twist and a great turn mm-hmm. but um it's not this huge set piece That's that true. like i wonder if there could have been a version of that with what about bob but i guess with playing strains and automobiles you get away with it being such a heartfelt actual story and about really about people more than anything else so you you get that great little drama twist to it but it never feels melodramatic Mm -hmm. no no, not at all all. candy's candy's i like me is one of the most heartbreakingly brilliant things i've ever seen in my entire life oh Oh my god it's like it should have won an oscar yeah like he should have won it destroys me every time in fact it it, it's more uh, it has a a greater impact every time i watch it And, and when he's sitting in the car and he's talking about um well, you were right. Uh, once again, I put. He's talking to his wife in the when he's out in the mm-hmm. snow in the car, and then Steve Martin opens the door, and there's that like great '80s synth chord, and oh, it, it cuts to them enjoying each other. There's nothing like that. I, I mean, I think it's a just a perfect movie. Also, Hughes got away with sprinkling in some of the the larger stuff throughout the film, like the, the all the the shenanigans with the car. Like that's, that's kind of like that subs in for like a big set piece. It's like okay, that's we have true. Sort of things here and there. That's true. John Candy in the devil costume. Oh, that's that's true. true. That's an amazingly yeah. edited set piece. That, you're right. That's a big piece. That's a big set piece. There's a lot yeah. of stuff like that in it. It's a good point. 
the more we talk about that movie, the more I wish they didn't lose the original cut. Did they? I didn't know that. I didn't they know supposedly that. lost the original cut and there's still a little bit of it in the trailer, but someone what? did like a whole YouTube mini documentary on basically what they had with the movie and the stuff that they cut to sort of get the, the energy going because there was like a, a fair amount excised, if I remember correctly. Oh, wow. You, you, you mean from the, the theatrical cut to, to the video? Yeah. No kidding. Uh, well, I know that they um. Oh no, from from Michael the original be... cut to theatrical, like the director's. Oh, cut. the director's cut. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's I would. God, I'd love. To I would see love that. to see that. I know Michael McKean. A lot of his stuff got cut out because they had gone. To, yeah, that's in, in there. They'd oh, gone really? too far, and um, and he tells them. Oh. And, and there's he has a, a black eye at one point. I think they get into a fist fight. Oh. Uh, I, I, I would I, love to see that. Me too. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I wish we could just sit here and talk forever about all these movies. But unfortunately, we have to let you guys go. But thank you so much for being here with us and, oh, and yeah, talking about what us. about Bob and, of course, Lady Day Manor with us. That was so fun. Yeah, I could. It's uh, so fun to talk about. We yeah. love it. Thanks we, got, for... we have like 400 some odd movies. So anytime you guys want to come back, just let us know. We'll, we'll cool. Yeah, by all means. it would be fun. Yeah. But this one in particular it is uh, so easy for us to talk about. Too, maybe too easy. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't shut up. Well, have thank you again for your time. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Thanks, Thanks for having us. It was really fun. That was so fun. Thanks, guys. They say we'll tell Nick you say hi. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Christian and Justin Long, brotherly double acts, writers, directors, one actor, uh, great guests. I mean, oh, I mean, look, we have so many great discussions with so many great people, but there was something about this. And I don't know if maybe it was again because they said, What about Bob played into their inspiration for parts of making Lady of the Manor or how they want to present Lady of the Manor? But this was such a great talk about a great film that, again, people know it, people have seen it. Like you said, box office king at the time. But it's kind of gotten, it's kind of not, it's not, when people think of the Bill, Man, Bill Murray pantheon, this doesn't come up that much. It comes up, it's one of those niche movies, niche movies that comes up because sometimes, I, I think I actually have seen the Don't Hassle Me on Local shirt like someone's actually put that into circulation but sometimes you'll hear people talk about it but for the most part this isn't you know what you mentioned bill murray you think stripes you think ghostbusters you think uh maybe even Zombieland. you mentioned richard Dreyfus, you think jaws you think maybe always and then you mentioned frank oz no always well stand by me maybe uh He's barely always, always i always should go on the list honestly <laughs> oh stand by me no, always. Oh, oh, well, always should. That's that's an interesting. That's going to be an interesting experience to talk out because I have seen it, and I remember being okay with it. But that is that is definitely something we should bring up. But even you mentioned you even mentioned Frank Oz, and you'd probably hear someone mention Bowfinger before. What about Bob? And Bowfinger is also an overdue rental. Like, I mean, yeah. you might even see uh, another movie of his that's on the list, House Sitter. And this this was my first time seeing it since I was a kid. Because I did actually, I remember bits and pieces of this because my parents, it was one of those movies that my parents rented, you know, I was allowed to watch it and I remember things here and there, but for the most part, I really did not, I didn't have an association with this film. So you, because what about Bob is one of those movies that I like, I haven't watched it in a while, but it's one of those movies that, and this is again, why I think it's become more of an overdue rental in my mind because I would watch that constantly for a long time over a certain amount of years and then just kind of like disappeared 
from my watch list in essence. It's not like I forgot about it, but I just haven't, I hadn't watched in a long time. You sort of got your fill. Yeah, well, you know, it's a movie that, again, I, I think I mentioned it during, when we're, during our talk. I remember seeing it in the theater when it came out my father, myself, my grandfather, my brother, and I think my grandmother, we all went to go see it. it had a blast. I, I was young, you know, 11, 12 year old, whatever it may have been at the time. Maybe, I don't know, like I was, maybe I was 10, but absolutely adored it and, and still do. And it's like, I think we mentioned a few things during the talk that we kept thinking about, but like, uh, this is one of those movies that no matter what happens, I will always kind of quote it but not remembering i'm quoting it like if somebody says something about something i want i'll go i want i want i need i need <laughs> and, I, and I, of course i know it's what about bob when i say it but just like it's gonna happen yeah. it's gonna come out while we're on while we're on the subject of bill murray i really did enjoy the fact that this was this was very out of the box for him in the sense that it wasn't just why is Alex smartass walking around, you know, making cracks and being confident? This was like neurotic Bill Murray. Mm. And I enjoy it quite a bit. Although I can tell you who didn't enjoy it all that much, Richard Dreyfus, <laughs> because these two, who the stories back and forth, even though at the time of this recording, they have forgiven each other, apparently, or one of them's forgiven the other. Stories of like, breaking Laura Ziskin's sunglasses and throwing them across the lot. And, and oh, Bill Murray apparently did that. Yeah. And then just the whole, you're not liked, you're tolerated thing between him and Richard Dreyfus. Like, wow. What is it? I, I feel so sorry for Frank Oz when he gets these temperamental <laughs> things that happen on the sets of his movies, because I remember. Think of the score. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. The score where uh, uh, Marlon Brando's calling him fucking Miss Piggy. And he can't direct him on set. And yeah. then apparently Stepford Wives, he and Bed Midler clashed. Well, Stepford Wives, we're not going to talk about that. Um, no, 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 no. Unless we really want to do like a, a, a disaster. Yeah, that would be, that'd be, that'd be a, a, a side podcast. But yeah, you know, it's funny too to think about it because, you know, they're meant to be at arms in the film. So you, you wonder, does that help it? Or, you know, if it was a movie where they weren't meant to be at each other's throats, I had to feel that maybe it came to the point where they were professional enough to get that work done, you know, no matter what it was. So, I mean, again, it still sucks, but it, it brings up those questions. Like what, how does it, how does it interact with, if it was a different kind of movie? I guess we're just going to have to save the questions for when we throw, what about BobCon? <laughs> also, a couple of some kind of radical therapy. Sorry. Go <laughs> We'll just have a whole panel on death therapy. <laughs> I cut you uh, a couple of interesting things that I noticed about this. First of all, you've got Alvin Sargent and Lauren Ziskin, or Laura Ziskin, working on this story together. So does that mean Bill Murray's part of the Spider-Man universe now? I don't see how that works. Oh, I only see it. Well, Alvin Sargent and Laura Ziskin were both worked, they both worked on the, the Tobey Maguire movies because she was a producer and then yeah, but Alvin if he's, not, if he's not in it, how does that make him part of it? It's a joke, Matthew. <laughs> it's a joke. I, you know what? I just would have loved to have seen Bill Murray as the Vulture, okay? Well, look, we almost had Bill Murray's Batman. True. Very true. Um, I, I don't, you know, it's fun. It's just, what about Bob? When they talk, when they said that, when, look, for those who don't know, we usually, if somebody's coming up, 
if somebody's coming on as a guest, we will generally either choose a film from their from their from their past that we think fits. If we don't think there's anything that kind of fits what we want to talk about, we'll give them a list of things to choose from. And for this one, it came back saying, well, these are some films that they inspire them. We had a, a list of three or four films, which Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one of them, which is why it gets mentioned in the interview. But when I saw that they mentioned what about Bob, I'm like, you know what? That's that's good. That makes sense. And it's it's just, I, I still don't get it. I still don't understand how this film is not, like you said, people still mention it. It's not like it's forgotten about, but I th- seem to think of these things in the world of YouTube and TikTok and all this stuff where you see people making videos and lists and whatever it is, and it's always one thing or the other. It's always Groundhog's Day. It's, it, it's technically at this point, it's even where the Buffalo roam more than what about Bob when it comes to Bill Murray, because it's something that somebody can make like a, oh, you didn't know they made this before they made this kind of film. So the fact that what about Bob doesn't get the attention that it once had is weird to me. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I had sort of, you know, thrown in, in the, at the beginning, uh, Buena Vista, which was basically for those that uh, don't know what we're talking about, that was Disney's sort of non-Disney distribution arm. Like they even put Tron out on Buena Vista because it was like, <laughs> oh, it's Walt Disney Pictures, but like it's it's not totally Disney. And, you know, Buena Vista was basically what ran Touchstone, which released this film, and Hollywood Pictures, which were their subsidiaries for more, you know, grown-up films. And I just want to look at the top grossing movies of 91 because this was their, like out of the, that production arm, it was the highest grossing film of 1991 like it was a 30 this was like 15th at the box office made 63.7 million on a budget of like 39 million and it was a memorial day uh it was released around memorial day in 91 yeah i mean this is this is the thing about why we're doing this because when we were when we were younger the big box office hits weren't superhero movies they weren't action movies they were sexy dramas and comedies and they Matthew, ruled that if i may may i read you the top 10 of 1991 please do we're gonna go backwards from 10 to 1 number 10 teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 secret of the ooze <laughs> number nine naked gun two and a half the smell of fear what? number eight adam's family number seven sleeping with the enemy yeah number six dances with wolves number five city slickers on the list Number four, Silence of the Lambs. Number three, Home Alone. Number two, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Wow. And I'm sure you know what the number one film of 1991 was. Stand by me. (laughs) Terminator 2, Judgment Day. No, in my head, Terminator 2, Judgment Day came out in 92 always. I don't know why. That's one of those things that just kind of blends together. Yeah. Yeah, but that was like a huge 4th of July hit. And this was just the domestic charts. But I yeah. Must been, I must have been 10, 11 years old at the time. My grandfather took me to see that in the theater when it came out. Absolutely. Yeah. And then the only movies that were above What About Bob but weren't in the top 10 were in order of uh, dissension, Backdraft, Hot Shots of Beauty and the Beast, and Hook. The, that would not be the case today. It just would not be the case. And that's sad. And that's what, that's, what, that's what weirds me out. And that's why we do this. And uh, well, again, some of those, if not all of those will come up and well, not sounds of the lambs, you know, that makes no sense, but. No. 
uh, even though I'm now, again, as I watch these people who YouTube reactors, like you know, watching it for the first time, never hearing about it. And I get it. Look, I'm not trying, obviously if you're a certain age, you know, it's going to make sense, but it's weird when certain things are never heard of. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. What's even weirder is people really haven't heard about this, but as late as 2017, they were going to do that NBC show, What About Barb? Where it was basically Leia Remini played uh, a a psychologist and Barb, her patient, was... uh, It was a a female-centric reboot for for TV. And I had no idea about this. Yeah, and apparently it never... uh, I I guess that it didn't get past the pilot or I don't know what point it got to, but... I like when you mentioned what about Bob, I immediately remembered that they were trying to to bring it back, just oh like MVP God. was trying to bring back sneakers. <laughs> but it, but again, it's like in my head, I think they're trying to bring it back, not necessarily to make money off of the name. It's more of because they think they can get away with being fresh because people forgot or don't know. Well, yeah. Or I mean, half, half and half. Let's go half and half. It's still a novel concept. Uh, psychiatrist has a very demanding patient and watch personalities clash and you know I kind of could see that as a, a weekly series maybe a limited series but definitely like every episode it's like okay how do I get rid of them or how do I I cure them and then at the end of the episode it's just like I'm sorry doc I'm back I I, I need I want I need Baby steps, baby steps. That's why. <laughs> yeah. The oh man, date your movie. Walking out of the film, my brother. We were like baby steps, baby steps out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> date your movie without dating your movie. Show us the uh, what you call it, like the self help craze of yeah. the day. Well, for those of you who have not seen What About Bob, make sure you go now. Cross it off your overdue rentals list. Get it over with because how have you? Just do it, especially with all the love Bill Murray has nowadays. Go do it, please. And do it then, for Bill. And then Lady of the Manor is available on demand for you now. It's in select theaters as well. Go out and see it in the theater if you can. Check it out. And then uh, come back and let us know what you thought. Actually, if people need to know, let us know where the, what they thought of it. Where, where do they find us? Well, they can go and reach out to us on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals, also on TikTok at Overdue Rentals. And if you just want to send us an Instagram message, that's Overdue Rentals Show. Send us an email. It's overdurentals at gmail.com. Find us wherever you listen to fine podcasts. Subscribe and rate us because we want to know how we're doing. Thank you, everybody. Mike, bye-bye. Bye-bye.